0: Rest beside these living waters
1: It's good to see all of you guys here, and uh, for everybody who's joining us on the live stream right now, uh, thanks for uh, hanging out with us. Uh, Can I make a quick announcement for those of you who are watching the live stream? And I don't want to put any pressure on you at all. Some of you are not worshiping in person right now, because you shouldn't be worshiping in person. It wouldn't be safe. But if you're kind of on the edge and you're thinking that you would like to try coming back to in-person worship, uh, I'm just going to offer this up. If you have any questions, you can get a hold of me. 7.45 service, it's a very, very small service. Our 9 o'clock service and 10.15 services are usually maxed out with the capacity that we're keeping ourselves at. But the 7.45 service isn't, and there's lots of empty space in here. So if you want to come back and try in-person worship, that would be a good bet. Again, if you have any questions, let me know. Uh, Everything is according to schedule today. So after um, um, uh, third service this morning, after the 10.15 service, uh, Children's Sunday School downstairs briefly, Youth Confirmation at 11.30, uh, Adult Bible Study on Zoom at 12.30, if any of you want to participate in that, uh, shoot me a text or an email and I can get you the link. New Members Class at 6 o'clock tonight, can I do a real quick commercial for that? Uh, I, get, I have conversations with uh, people a lot uh, about baptism and, and communion, some of them are Lutherans, some of them are not Lutherans. But uh, frequently, Lutherans will say to me, frequently, non Lutherans who are Christians will say to me, Aren't you guys, don't you like believe weird stuff about communion and baptism? And I'll say, I don't know what do you mean by weird. That's like my first move. But uh, for Lutherans, though, will say to me sometimes, Yeah, I, you know, I kind of I, I believe in, you know, I, I was taught in confirmation class what about communion and baptism what is and I still believe it, but I don't actually remember why. I don't remember what we talked about or, Anything. I just kind of hanging in there because it's what I do. If that's the position that you're in, tonight's a good night to show up at new members class, and you're free to come anytime that you want. But tonight would be a good one because we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to start talking about baptism tonight, and no, no, communion first, and then baptism, and we'll talk about what the Bible says about these things and how specifically. How does communion and baptism fit into the story of the Bible? Not like looking for proof texts that say, oh, that proves it to me. But how does it fit into the story of the Bible? I think that'll make a lot of sense. It does to me. So uh, join us at 6 o'clock. You don't have to let me know, just show up. Um, uh, junior and senior high youth group, uh, this Tuesday evening, this Tuesday morning, we're starting the men's Bible study, uh, Every Man's Battle. Um, uh, there's a handful of us who are gathering together for that. If you want to participate in that, let me know uh, Tuesday mornings at, from 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, we'll get together and talk about uh, what it means to be uh, a man and fight sexual temptation, which every single post-pubescent guy in here does. Uh, your options are you can f- struggle with it on your own or you can struggle with it in community. And I, this, is, this class isn't like the answer for you, but it could be. It could be, it's a way to get together with other guys who are asking the same questions and fighting the same battles. So uh, let me know and uh, come fight that with us. All right, last but not least, we have uh, Stacy Stocky back to talk about some youth group stuff and some mercy ministry stuff.
2: Good morning. I wanna give you a quick update on the homeless outreach that we did yesterday. Uh, This is the second time we've now gone. Our youth group went out to Granite City And we helped feed and we helped supply clothing and warm blankets and personal hygiene items to the homeless and the people who are struggling just to make ends meet in the Granite City area. I collected a lot of donations this last week. You guys brought in a lot of stuff and I just want to say thank you for that. Um, It was cold. It was snowing. And this time my experience was totally different than last time. Last time I went, I was inside on an assembly line doing food and handing it out kind of out the door and then rummaging through clothes on the back tables to help find sizes of things they needed this time i was outside and i was out there meeting the people who were coming Uh, when it first started at one and we opened the doors there weren't a lot of people there so we went down the street and we started knocking on the doors at the apartment buildings for chestnut Uh, They have some apartments there where they house people. And we were just telling them, hey, hot meal, hot meal, come on down. And people were coming out. And if they couldn't come out, we brought food back to them. And throughout the afternoon, it started to pick up. We had a lot more people coming. And uh, I had an opportunity to meet with one guy where he talked to me for like half an hour. And he was just sharing his childhood story of trauma. He was talking to me about things he experienced as a very young boy. And the whole time, I'm thinking... God, I do not know what to say to that. I, I do not know how to respond to this right now, and I just had this peace in my heart that was like, you don't have to say anything. Just listen. Just listen to this guy, and so I did, and I listened to him, and you know, I I sympathized where I could, and you know, I talked to him, and in the end. He was just so, so thankful. And he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the food. Thank you for the clothes. Thank you for the blanket. Thank you for this. And he's like, I'm going to go run home and, you know, eat my meal. He stood there while his food was getting cold because he just wanted to talk. He just wanted to chat with someone and be heard. But when he walked away, I realized that was really, that was all he needed was just to be acknowledged, to be important, to be valued, to have something to say and someone to say it to. So uh, for any of you who are interested at all in helping with this, um, there's a group of area churches. So there's a lot of people just from churches around here who meet the second Saturday of every month down at the Community Care Center, and they hand out a hot meal. The Community Care Center, they have a food bank there, so they provide stuff throughout the week to people. But on that Saturday, we hand out a hot meal. We give them blessing bags. We help them find clothing and things that they need from... The, like the storage they have in the center. So uh, thank you again for everyone who donated and then throwing that out there. Um, something else, I have a new announcement for youth group. This summer, we are going on a missions trip. I'm really excited about this. This is gonna be junior and senior high. So sixth grade, all the way up through 12th grade. If you're going into sixth grade or you're leaving 12th grade, you are definitely invited to come. And I also need adult volunteers because this is going to be a trip where we're getting ourselves all the way up to Minnesota, which is really exciting because our National Youth Gathering was in Minnesota. Miriam was there. Um, But we're going back, and this time we're going to the White Earth Indian Reservation. And we are going to partner with a church up there, Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church, and we are going to work with them to help minister to the needs of the children on this reservation. I have a lot of information about this, about kind of what's going on. So you can catch me if you want after church, I'll be out back if you want more details about how this all came into place and what we might be doing. We will have fundraisers here in the upcoming months and weeks to help fund the trip. And I don't have all the details just yet like as far as cost and everything. We're we're in the early stages of planning, but we do know it will be the week of June 21st through 25th. We're going to go the whole week. And we are going to serve up there to the children and the kids. The church we're going to, they had asked if we would help them also with their own youth group. They've been trying to launch one, and they've been struggling, and they're really excited about us coming. And they just want us to be there and talk with their own kids in their church and help them out in that level as well. So there's that. My last thing, and I'm sorry, this is a little long. My last thing is God has really laid on my heart the need for mentorship amongst us women here in the church. So this started roughly around the same time youth group started, which was really weird, and I didn't know what to do with that. But he really laid on my heart this need that we should be mentoring one another and doing life together and helping each other out in godly, biblical ways. Um, I'm going to read to you real quick. I have a lot of things here. Let me set that down. I'm going to read to you Titus 2 and why this is so important to me. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. It is our job to mentor one another, to actually live out vocally and actively our faith, to be bold in our faith, to be there for each other, to be willing to say the things the world won't tell us. They're not always popular. And they're not always what we want to hear, but we need to hear it. And our church, it's our family. It's our home. And I feel like us women, we need to be here for one another. So starting in February, we are going to have a ladies' Bible study in person here at the church, 9 a.m. on Saturday mornings, if you're interested. If you are 19 and up, you're invited to come. You're encouraged to come. I want you to come. And what we're going to do is study through the Bible together. I have... This I forgot to show this to the first service, but this is the book that I found that is just phenomenal. It's broken up into six-week sessions. So for six weeks at, week at a time, what you do is you read through the Bible at home on your own throughout the week, and there's some journaling involved. And then when we all come together once a week, we can talk about the things that we've been reading throughout that time and talk about the stuff that we deal with in our lives on a daily basis. If you're over the age of 35, you're a mentor. If you're under the age of 35, you're a mentee. But the reality is that we all we all need mentors in our life, even if we're over 35. Myself, I'm going to be 40 very soon. I need a mentor in my life. I need this. I need women in the church that I can look to, that I can talk to when I'm going through tough times, when I'm struggling with things that will be there for me and they'll direct me to the word. Uh, you don't have to have all the answers. This is not counseling. This is not um, someone who's, like I said, providing all the answers. This is just loving the Lord and being willing to say the things that are, that are important, the things that we need to hear, and directing us back to what God has to say about how we should live our lives. If this interests you, I do have a sign-up sheet out back, so just sign up and let me know that you're interested in this, and I'll make sure I have all the materials I also need leaders for this. Um, I, what I would love to see is a group of women, just a couple of us, who are willing to lead this study. So if that is you and you feel like God has laid this on your heart, also reach out to me. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Stacy. Thanks a bunch. Uh, let's stand and continue with worship. And let's do so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Uh, From Psalm 2, don't be thrown off too by the fact that your responses are not in bold. They totally messed up the 745 service. They didn't know what to do. Uh, It was just a clerical error. Uh, Make sure that you say the parts that are marked uh, C for congregation. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, the Old Testament reading is uh, the first five verses in the entire Bible. Genesis 1, 1-5. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is from Romans chapter 6. We uh, actually uh, read and studied through this several months ago. Here, it's just a fantastic text. text. And the main theme of this text is union with Christ. Uh, What shall we say then? Paul asked. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If you remember from several months ago, he's answering the question, if grace covers up all my sin and grace is so much stronger than sin, then why don't I just sin as much as I want? Because there's always going to be grace to cover it up. So he's answering that question. Are we to continue in sin to make grace be even more, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1. Glory to you, O Lord. John. This is John the Baptist. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And He preached, saying, After Me comes He who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when He came up out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son; with you, I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Can you turn to uh, Genesis uh, Genesis one reading, and let's read that together for a few minutes, if we can, and think about uh, creation. So, uh, we uh, we we're used to thinking about. The creation of the world, as Christians, we're used to thinking about the creation of the world as, you know, God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. What's interesting, if you go back to Genesis 1, is that, so, Genesis 1, the first day, what did God make? Well, He made light. Verse 3 says, right, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So, you know, we typically were like, okay, on the first day, God created light. Uh, But actually, He, you know, what happened before that? There's, you know... When did he create the earth? That's another way to ask the question. I'm stammering around trying to a- answer. When did he actually create the earth? It doesn't, say, it doesn't say in any of the days of creation. It doesn't say he created the earth. Actually, he created the earth before the days of creation. So before creation week, there's already, the earth is already there. Look at verse uh, chapter Genesis 1, uh, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So before the creation week proper begins, God's already made of the earth in Genesis 1. And now does this mean, yeah, yeah so that's, that's how I want to say it. God's already made the earth. Uh, there's no implication here that the earth that is somehow eternal, and then God shows up and adds some stuff to it. Uh, the Bible consistently confesses that everything that does exist, Colossians 1 says, exists because Jesus willed it into existence. Revelation 4 says, Worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, Jesus, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Everything that exists, exists because God created it. So, but, but here's a story. We don't talk about this very much. Uh, it's funny, too, because like, we talk about Genesis 1 a ton. There's this earth that exists that God created before the, the, the creation week begins. What was that earth like? We don't know a whole lot. We have verse 2 which can, it's not super descriptive, but it can tell us a few things. It says, uh, Genesis 1-2 says that this earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. So before the creation week began, what, did, what was the earth like? And the answer is it was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. So without form means it was shapeless, didn't really have any sort of definite shape. It was void that's an interesting word. It was without form and void. What does it mean that the word was void? It means uh, empty, meaningless, uh, vain, no purpose. That, that word is used in Isaiah 49, verse 4. It's actually the servant of the Lord who says, I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. It's the word that's translated void here in the ESV. Um, so you can see what it means. So the strength... Like, I worked and nothing happened. It was completely pointless. Pointlessness, emptiness, lack of meaning, formless and without meaning, just random, purposeless, until God comes and starts to bring order to it, right? Last line there in verse 2 is, um, I'm sorry, the middle line, darkness was over the face of the deep. What is the deep? Well, it's kind of, the deep is a, it's a typical Hebrew word for the ocean, the deep. Um, it's a noun. The deep is. It comes from the verb, which means to roar. And you can see. I mean, you can use that word in Hebrew. You can use that word for anything that roars. You know, a guy yelling or a lion roaring. But you can see where it, why it would be connected with ocean. It's uh, you know, we we sometimes talk about the ocean waves roaring. And so uh, there's actually a verse in Psalm 42, uh, verse seven, where the psalmist says, "Deep calls to deep." This word here. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So it's this like water, like deep, immense water that's chaotic. That's kind of a primary word connected with the word deep, is that it's chaos. The ocean in the ancient world, give me a second to be a little bit nerdy here. In the ancient world, the ocean was seen as a chaotic place, the source of chaos. It's where dark deep unknown things lived it's where people would sail away into it and not come back it's where if you went out into it there's a possibility that you were going to die the ocean was considered a chaotic place so to say that the, that the that the world was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep this sentence is another way of saying the world is before creation before the creation week proper started The earth that God created was meaningless, pointless, chaotic, random, until God starts to shape and transform it during the creation week. How does he do that? How does God turn the earth that's chaotic and random and without meaning? How does he turn it into a place that's got beauty and ration and purpose and meaning? How does he do it? There's three ways he does it in Genesis chapter 1. The first way is his spirit. The second way is His image, and the third way is His Word. His Spirit, His image, and His Word. So first of all, His Spirit shows up all the way in, uh, at the beginning of the Bible in verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here's this earth that's completely covered with water, and it's chaotic, and it's formless, it's meaningless, and it's void. And the only thing that's there is the Holy Spirit who's hovering over the waters. Well, uh, what does that mean? Like, what is it? Why is that important? that The Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. Well, the word "hovering," or sometimes you can see, you'll see it translated "fluttering," is a bird word. It's a word that that's used to describe what birds do when they hover or flutter over an object, usually over something that they care about. Can I give you a great example from Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two? Um, talking about the Holy Spirit in Deuteronomy 32, actually. The Holy Spirit guarding Israel while Israel was in the wilderness after the exodus. The Holy Spirit's hovering and fluttering over them. Listen to, to Deuteronomy 32. He found Israel in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest... That flutters, that's the exact same word for hovering here in our text in Genesis 1, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. So, so, back in Genesis 1-2. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Fluttering over the creation? What it's doing is encircling it, caring for it, keeping it as the apple of his eye, spreading out his wings, catching it, bearing it on its pinions, protecting it, guarding it, preparing it for, what, for, for, for the beautiful work that God's about to do next, loving it, encircling it, th- these, these sorts of things. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing to creation. The first way that God brings order to his creation is to send his Holy Spirit to prepare the whole thing, protect the whole thing, to love the whole thing. All right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The second way is his image. When God wants to bring order and purpose to his creation, in Genesis chapter 1, the primary way he does it Is to create an image of himself, a mini-me, and put it on the earth and say, you're in charge now. You're going to look like me. You're going to talk like me. You're going to act like me. You're going to think like me. And you're going to do what I would do on the earth. You're going to guard it and protect it and take care of it. This isn't in your reading today. Let me drop down a few more verses in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So let's make somebody who looks an image of us, who looks like us, and let them have dominion over everything. Who has domin- Yahweh has dominion. The creator, God, has dominion over all things. But he says, let men and women, let, let my human creations, my many me's, have dominion in my name over all of this, to bring order and beauty and peace and stewardship over it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God uses his image in Genesis 1 to bring order and prosperity and beauty to his what was originally a chaotic and formless and random creation that's the second way his spirit his image and the third way is his word right i mean this is we talk about this a lot when we do confirmation with the kids or with the new members class with the adults how does god create everything it's, most of you who are believers would know the word he does it by the word of his mouth right verse 3 in our text says and god said let there be light when god wants to bring light to a dark creation he says it and it happens his word is powerful And he brings order and peace and security and meaning and purpose through his word. So these three ways. That's basically what Genesis 1 is doing, is saying God uses his Holy Spirit, he uses his image in humans and humanity, and he uses his word to bring peace and order to to the world. Okay, so what's gone wrong? One of those three things has failed. The Holy Spirit doesn't. The Holy Spirit still hovers and flutters and encircles protectively and lovingly and sovereignly. His word will never fail. will never return to him void. What's failed is his image. The creatures that he put on the earth, the men and the women that are designed to look like him, talk like him, act like him, think like him, and to do what he does on the earth, have rebelled against him and bailed on him. And instead, have seen the earth and each other and themselves as tools to use for their own power and gratification. And, uh, you know, fill in the blank, the rest. Cancer, skin, knees, broken relationships, fighting, impending death for all of us. That's what's happened. In fact, let let me say this. In fact, all of the struggles that go on in the world and in your own heart are all attempts by the enemy, and by our own flesh and by the culture to drive us back from the beauty and order and safety of God's creation to the chaos, the primeval chaos, disorderliness, and meaninglessness pre Genesis 1, verse 3. It's, everything that's going wrong in the world is an attempt to push us back to meaninglessness, chaos, emptiness, pointlessness, everything. So what does this have to do with right now? Actually, I was going to preach a totally different sermon this week. On on, on Monday and Tuesday, I was preparing something completely different. And then uh, several of you, now usually if one or two people are like, hey, I'm worried about this, it's kind of something I'll talk about with them one-on-one. But when like a handful of people, when between five and ten people get a hold of me and say, I'm actually kind of freaked out about what's going on in our culture right now. I'm freaked out about the political scene. I'm really worried. And somebody uh, texted me, she's not here this morning, texted me and said, hey, Aaron, I know, you, I know you're not interested in politics, which isn't true, I am interested in politics. I know you're not interested in politics, but can you say something about the political situation right now and like, tell us that God is in control? And I was, okay, sure, I can do that. But when a bunch of people started to say stuff like that, I thought, I, I, we should probably talk about this, right? So A lot of people, a lot of you are scared right now or worried, maybe scared, scared's too strong for some of you, but, but worried. And a, a lot of you, it has to do with the political situation. Can, can I tell you this? And uh, I always have to do this caveat. First of all, a couple caveats. First of all, I don't dislike politics. I'm super interested in politics. I just don't think it's the answer. Second of all, there are godly politicians. So when I say what I'm about to say next, I'm not saying every single person who votes, who serves in public office, is meaningless and pointless. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that the political system as it is belongs on the side of chaos and meaninglessness and the void, and it always has. You don't believe me? Let me read to you from Isaiah 40, classic text on the lordship of the creator God, and he says this, all the nations are as nothing before God, and he uses the word for void. Before God and his plan, all of the nations are empty, meaninglessness, meaninglessness. And then he goes into this, he moves from there into this discussion on his power as the creator. Why is he doing this here? Why is he, let me read you the discussion first. He says this To whom then will you liken God, or what can you compare God with? What about an idol, he says? Well, he said, that's stupid. A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold. You know, you, 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 if you're wealthy and you've got some money, you can make a nice idol out of gold or silver. But what are you doing? Like you're taking money that you worked for and building an idol that you paid for and you designed so that you can set it up and worship it? That doesn't make any sense. You made it. How can it possibly do anything? He goes on to say, maybe you're poor. If you're too impoverished for an offering, you can choose wood. It's possible to make a wood offering. You know, in another place in Isaiah, he says this, do this, like you want, you want something to worship? Take a, take a chunk of wood. You can make half of it into an idol. In the other half, you can cook your food with it, with a fire. That's super efficient because then you can make your food and you have something to pray to and worship to protect you. It's nonsense. Instead, the only true source of power is not our idols, but this. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth, of creation? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who creates the world, in other words. And spreads them like a tented dwelling, who brings princes to nothing. And he uses the exact same word for our word for void. Who brings the political system, shows it for what it is nothing. Why is he saying this in Isaiah 40? Well, it's because the people of Israel were scared. They lived in a culture of political chaos, empires fighting against each other, people choosing sides. I'm on this side. No, I'm on this side. We should support Babylon. No, we should fight against Babylon. No, we should pretend like we're supporting Babylon, but go to Egypt and get help. All these divisions, and all of it lurking over their heads, the fear that whatever, whatever power gets in charge is going to destroy us, is going to chew us up and spit us out. And what God says to the people in Isaiah 40 is, forget about that. The political system is void. It belongs on the side of the emptiness and nothingness. I am the creator God, and I come to bring order and peace and light. Trust in me. This is why Isaiah 40 ends up with a fantastic uh, verse, the, the, those who wait for the Lord, he, wait for the Lord is not like this, okay, I'm gonna sit and pray and hope that you talk to me. Wait for the Lord is, don't trust the political system in Isaiah 40. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now we can say, so, so right now the, the, the context is, is uh, politics, right? But any idol that we set up, you guys aren't gonna like pay some money to make a metal idol probably. But any idol that we set up as a culture, will fall into the same category. Now, sometimes it's the idol of education. You guys have heard this before. We just need stronger education. We need to invest more money in our educational system. We need to value teachers more. We need to teach our kids that education is important. You guys guys see what I'm saying here? like, Like with politics and politicians, I'm not saying it's not important. We should value it highly, but not in the place of God. Before God, it's void. Educational system is the same way. I believe in education. I've been in school almost my whole life either attending school or teaching school. I totally believe in it, but that's not working for us. Our culture is not getting any better the more we invest in education. The more we convince our, our kids that you need, okay, college, you got to finish college. Wait a minute, we say a few years later. No, no, you need a master's degree. No, no, wait a minute, you need furthering education. The more we do that, the better, the, the, the things don't get better, right? Now, I'm not saying, like, don't go to school. I'm in school. Don't, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it is, it is void before the face of the Creator, God, a couple of other examples here. Economic reform. You, you hear this a, a ton too. You know, whatever, whatever side of the uh, ideological spectrum you're on, economic reform is important. It's void. It cannot fulfill what it promises to fulfill. Instead, it's trying to drive us back to the void, to the darkness, to the meaninglessness. Stronger families, you'll hear this said. You know, what our culture needs is stronger families. No, no, it's void. I believe in strong families, totally. But That's void. That's emptiness before the face of the creator God. What we need is something stronger. Me having a stronger family is not going to fix the void and the emptiness in my own heart or in the culture around me or even in my family. Me having economic security, my political party being in charge, none of this is going to fix the emptiness and the void. What we need is we need God to return and fix the emptiness and the void. Okay, now go to Mark chapter 1 about Jesus being baptized. In Mark chapter 1, God fixes the emptiness and the void. God takes the chaos of this world, the purposelessness of this world, and he makes it beautiful and he gives it meaning. I'll I'll tell you how that works in just a second. First of all, in Jesus' context, political darkness is the name of the game. You've got the Romans who are the overseers over everybody, who hold the threat of crucifixion over the head of every single Jewish man and woman. And then within Judaism, you have multiple options for how to deal with this. Some of them were more passive, the Sadducees. Let's just be nice and try to, if we're nice to the Romans, they'll be nice to us and we can just live in peace. Some of them are like, well, we need more religion. It's the Pharisees and especially the Essenes. The Essenes are like, y'all are a complex, hot mess. We're moving out to the desert. We don't want anything to do with any of you. Romans, Jews, anything. You have the Zealots who are like, you know what we need to do? We need to blow up the system and start over again. Jesus is born into this context, into the context of political darkness and corruption, and economic too, and, and social, everything, fill in the blank. And what at his baptism, what's happening is, is God is reintroducing the order and the peace and the loveliness of Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and following, as opposed to Genesis 1 and 2. How does he do it? He uses three tools by the way, this is no coincidence that, the, that these three tools are the same tools he uses in Genesis 1. So catch this. He uses his Holy Spirit, he uses his image, and he uses his word. That's what he does here at the baptism of Jesus. How does God use his Holy Spirit? First of all, look at verse, um, uh, verse 12. The Spirit. No, I'm sorry, verse uh, 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. The spirit, after Jesus' baptism, descends on Jesus like a dove. We don't really know what that means. Like Mark doesn't say, does it? Is the Holy Spirit like in the form of a dove descending? Or is the Holy Spirit descending, and his descent reminds Mark of a doves? Descent? We don't really know. But what we do know is this: is that Mark is determined to insert Holy Spirit language here and this image of the Holy Spirit descending upon him. Why? Because what God did with the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1-2, encircle, love, empower, prepare, take care of, God is doing with his own son here in Mark chapter 1. He's sending his Holy Spirit to encircle him, to empower him, to prepare him, to take care of him, to protect him. He's bringing order and beauty into his world once again. Just like he did in Genesis 1, he's doing it again with the baptism of his son, Jesus. What does that have to do with me and you? Okay, so Jesus had the Holy Spirit, that's nice. Well, if Jesus had the Holy Spirit, you guys who are believers in Jesus also have the Holy Spirit. This is what verse 8 means, right? John says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Mark sees descending on Jesus in verse 10 is the same Holy Spirit that God pours out on you and I who are his children now, encircling you, empowering you. Taking care of you, bringing beauty and love and meaning and order out of what otherwise is a chaotic and purposeless existence. You feel that, don't you? Don't, don't you feel the, the purposelessness and the chaotic nature of existence encroaching on your own mind and your own emotions, in your own family, in your own neighborhood? The Holy Spirit is standing guard against that, protecting you, staving off those forces, pushing back, creating more and more space for God's love and order and beauty to exist. That's the first way, Holy Spirit. Second way is His image. Look down in verse uh, 11. Jesus is baptized and the voice of his father comes from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Okay. Jesus is God's son. Hold on, you just like tuned me out because that's like cliche time. There's lots of, l- l- pay attention to me. There's lots of things that it means that Jesus is God's son. There, there's, if you say, what does it mean? If I ask you, what does it mean that Jesus is God's son? You probably should have five or six answers ready to go. Let me give you one of them. Have, have you ever heard, has somebody ever told you, like, have you, or have you heard somebody say, you see that kid over there? Like, He is the spitting image of his dad. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying like, it's clear that he is his son because they look just exactly alike. That's one of the things that God is saying here. You are my son. You are my image. You are me on earth. Look, what am I saying? Go back to Genesis 1. God puts his image, Adam and Eve, on earth and says, think like me, talk like me, act like me, be me here, and we failed. So what does he do? He sends the new image. He sends his son, Jesus, the perfect human. Jesus is what Adam and Eve were supposed to be but could never be. Jesus is the one who completely represents his father. He is the one who is the spitting image of his father. He is the son paul says in colossians 1 right jesus is the image of the invisible god jesus is the image who actually brings order and peace to the world adam and eve were supposed to do steward but jesus is the one who does it why is this being brought up in baptism i think this is pretty cool it's a why is this why is it specifically at jesus's baptism that the father says you are my son you are my image well it's because he's coming up out of the waters of baptism This is new creation. Out of the waters of the deep in Genesis 1-3, God's Spirit, His image, and His Word combine to create out of the waters of the deep the beauty and the order of creation, which is destroyed by human sin. But now, out of the waters of the deep, out of the waters of chaos and meaningless and hopelessness, Jesus comes up out of these same waters. The perfect image of God, working with His Spirit and His Word to bring about order and peace which brings us to the Word, right? So we talked about His Spirit. We've talked about uh, His image. And now the Word of God, which again, go back in verse 11. It's actually an audible voice here coming out of heaven saying, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. God announces audibly. By the power of His Word, He makes the new creation happen. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. What does that have to do with us, me and you? Well, if you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, What's true of Jesus is true of you. For those of us who have been bad, so so, say this again, I I should get five cents for every time I say this and then I'd be rich and I would take you all all out to a nice dinner. God did not save you to take you to heaven. Completely uninterested in that. Do you understand? Taking you to heaven is kind of a safe thing to do while your body lies rotting in the grave and your soul's with Jesus. That's just just kind of a temporary stopgap until he gets done what he wants to get done. Why did God save you? Why did God baptize you? So that you could be with, combined with Jesus and you could be a part of the threefold agent for bringing order and beauty and peace and wholeness and meaning into his fallen, broken, meaningless, chaotic world. That's what we were saved for. You've been baptized into Jesus Christ. You are a part of the meaning. You see, here's what I'm saying. Do not put your trust in chariots and horses. Do not push your, put your trust in men. Do not put your trust in the political process. Do not put your trust in political parties. Who is God's agent to rescue this creation? It's Jesus, and because it's Jesus, the true image, it's you. It's me and you who've been made in his image. Okay, so how does this help us? Uh, Again, let me me expand on this just a little bit more. How does this help us not be afraid in the current context? First of all, you've got to believe that first of all, Jesus has combined you to himself in baptism. Second of all, that he's powerful enough to do what he says he's gonna do. That when Jesus comes and says, new creation's here. For those of you who are in me, new creation, 2 Corinthians five, it is here and it cannot be stopped. The gates of hell cannot prevail. You have to believe in that. You have to believe in that. Second thing, This this piggybacks on the first. Look at your fear for a second. Look at whatever it is that you're afraid of or worried about, whatever. Fear and worry are always symptoms of an idol that you cherish in your heart that's being challenged. We get afraid when an idol that we cherish in our heart is being challenged. So what's the idol that's being challenged here? Is it the fear that evil is going to win and good is going to lose? Nonsense. The Spirit is now here fluttering over us. The true image of God is here. He has been announced by the word of his father. This is my beloved son who's going to rescue the world. You don't need to be afraid. Do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you to be apathetic. I'm not telling you to be fatalistic about this. I'm not telling you not to care about politics or not to care about economics or education or strong families or whatever it is. But I am saying, don't put your hope in it. If you don't put your hope in it, you can be liberated to be a good citizen, to be a good educator, to be a good student to be a good family member, but not be afraid that the evil's going to win. I guarantee you it's not. Maybe that's not your worry. I I, I don't know. Different people react differently when things don't go the way they want to in in culture. Maybe your worry is, I'm going to be an outsider in a culture that I thought I belonged to. That the culture that I thought I was a part of, I've now been marginalized. Maybe that's it. Maybe it is the culture wants to use me and chew me up and spit me out. And I now see that I'm not important. I now see that my existence here in this culture is meaningless. I'm just being used for power games. How does the baptism of Jesus answer that particular idol? Disenfranchisement? Fear that the culture is against you? Hear the words of your Father. Your Father. Your Father in Jesus Christ. You are my daughters. You are my sons. With you, I am completely pleased. You'll never be an outsider. You will never lose. The fear of losing has no hold over you because it's guaranteed. You are God's children. With you, he is well pleased. The culture is trying to push you back to chaos. Your own heart is trying to push you back to chaos. The enemy is trying to push you back to meaningless and chaos. So there's a great line in, in the Screwtape letters. Harry and I just read this letter the other night where Screwtape the demon is saying what we want is to turn, what we want is cattle that we can turn into food. That's what the culture wants. They want cattle that they can turn into food. The enemy wants cattle that they can turn into food. But What the Father wants is servants that he can turn into daughters and sons. That's your destiny. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of His Word, the power of Jesus making us His image to help shape and transform this world to be the beautiful creation, the orderly creation, the meaningful creation, the righteous creation, that he intended it to be. Let's pray. Stand with me and let's pray, and then we'll have communion. Father, we thank you for, God, I, I thank you for being a powerful God and a holy God and the God who sits above the circle of the earth. But I confess to you that I put my hope and trust in idols all the time, things that I think are going to bring order to my life, but which don't. A pleasure is a big one for me, uh, Father, I, I confess the times when uh, being comfortable and being well-fed have been my target goal, and I confess to you and before my brothers and sisters here that I actually am never satisfied when I get those things. Maybe it's being in charge, um, maybe it's maybe it's a politics, maybe it's financial security. God, we've put hopes, we've put our hopes for meaning and purpose in things other than you. And I pray that You would turn our eyes back to You, the Strong One, before whom all of the meanings in our universe are void and empty. Lord, in Your mercy. Father, we thank You for the baptism of Jesus. And we thank You for our own baptisms which unite us to His. And the purpose and the hope that gives us that by the power of Your Son, Jesus, by the power of Your Holy Spirit hovering over us, hovering in us, by the power of Your Word spoken to us from You, that you can transform us into being what Adam and Eve were called to be by the power of your Son, Jesus. Help us to be the stewards of your creation and of our relationships and of our own bodies and minds and souls that you designed us to be for your power, but by your power and for your glory. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray that you be with all of us who are struggling with hopelessness. And it's real easy for me to preach these words from a pulpit. It's nice and safe and but but I, but I I struggle with fear too and meaningless and just walking out of here. God help the words of Genesis one and Mark one to resonate throughout our week, and to give us this hope in Your purpose and and and, and Your designs for Your own glory, and for people who are struggling with not just fear but with physical pain and discouragement, with depression, with financial troubles, with relationship troubles. Be with all these people as well, God, and give us all hope and meaning, knowing that because your son Jesus was baptized, brought about the kingdom, died and was risen from the dead and now sits with you and rules and reigns over all things, that we have that hope, the resurrection hope that you've promised us, the hope of new creation. Lord, in your mercy. Father, you said to your son that he was your beloved son, that you were completely and absolutely pleased in him, And then you went and united us to him in his baptism, in our baptism in him. And so we know for a fact, God, we can do the math. We know for a fact that we are your beloved daughters and sons with whom you are well pleased. That nobody in the whole world is as happy with us as you are. And so we come to you, the only truly happy person in the world with us. We come to you and we ask you for your help and for your forgiveness And for your hope and for your grace, and most of all for your fatherhood. We just want to be with you. So, all these prayers we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith. If we can, let's confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
3: her come to Thee. Lord, may Thy body and Thy blood be for my soul.